This is the Bushwick Variety Show. And I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number nine. Hope your Monday's going well so far. Hope it finds you well. Hope you had a good weekend. I spent most of uh, Sunday rehearsing for a stage reading that I'm doing today with the Shelter Theater Company. That's uh, tonight at Hill Country Barbecue. Um, it is a heroes and villains themed reading of six short plays, all written by the Shelter Theater Company uh writers, directors, actors that we have in there. It's really cool company. I'm happy to be a proud part of it. Uh, we're going to get going with that tonight. If you are listening to this on Monday as I release it, that'll be tonight at 7.30 p.m. You can find out more info at the Shelter Theater Facebook page or at the theshelterTheaterNYC.org. They also have a weekly Sunday workshop. Um, every Sunday, all are welcome, all writers, directors, actors to attend and participate in. I highly recommend it if you are a writer, actor, director, um, and come out tonight. Both of these are in Manhattan. Like I said, you can find out more info at the shelter's Facebook page or on their website. Today, I'm talking to Elizabeth Pufo Walker, percussionist extraordinaire. She's played with uh, Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings. She has toured the world. She has done a lot of things um, in percussion for the past uh, 25 years. Some of the people you might have heard of are John Legend, The Roots, Aloe Black, Peter Gabriel. I could go on and on. Michael Franti. Um, I could go on and on. The list is extensive. Um, so she has a lot of experience and a lot to talk about. She is performing next Tuesday, May 15th at 9 o'clock at New Blue in Manhattan. And that's a show put on by my friend Aaron Walker-Loud from Big World Breaks. If that name sounds familiar, it might be because you've heard that name mentioned a few times on this show. Aaron is the founder of Big World Breaks. He's a drummer, and he's put together this show putting uh, two percussionists and two horn players together and it's called tag team um i'm going to be featuring every one of these magician musicians uh on this show leading up to it and maybe one will come out after it but i'm going to be featuring each one of the musicians that's going to be in the show at new blue on this show bushwick variety show and so today episode nine is going to feature elizabeth pupo walker percussionist extraordinaire and this conversation and all of the conversations are recorded in my studio located in the rack shack and all-inclusive lingerie boutique in bushwick brooklyn so without further ado here is my conversation with elizabeth pupo walker and stick around she gives a great performance at the end let's have a conversation Should I use these? Uh, if you want to, that's up to you. Okay. 
So Elizabeth Kubo Walker. Yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Nice. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm very good. Thanks. Good. Um, so from what I've seen about you is uh, you've been a percussionist um, and played with a lot of different acts um, for for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, where did you start playing? Well, I started professionally in Seattle. Nice. Um, but I started playing relatively late, um, right after college. Um, I was at a party and there were some bongos there and started playing and fell in love. And one thing after another, it just all started falling into place. Mm-hmm. And I went and studied in Cuba with Los Muñequitos, which is a really great uh, folkloric ensemble. And my sister convinced me to come out to Seattle for the summer and loved it and stuck around. Was there 10 years and have been here now 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time flies, right? Yeah, it does. Um, so were you, did you have a music background before you started um, percussion? I danced for about eight years. Nice. Yeah. So. Is that what you like studied in college and stuff too? Or? I know. I just grew up dancing and, and working with a dance company. But um, in college, I was just, I graduated in business. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which has actually been pretty helpful yeah, to I was, me. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, I would actually recommend it. It does work pretty well. Yeah. I remember um, when I was younger, uh, my dad was, I was kind of acting just out of high school. And he was, but I took some like community college classes and he was trying to get me to do some prerequisites. But the first thing I wanted to study was, uh, was business because I knew that would come into handy with and anything yeah yeah um so dad you were wrong on that. you've been <laughs> wrong about a lot of things but <clears throat> yeah that one definitely um i think that's like the whole uh as we shift into a new model of education mm-hmm. um people talk about like learning trades and stuff like that but i also think there are certain academic things like business in particular um that are crucial to kind of know um, as an artist or anything else, mm-hmm. you know, while you're figuring it out. I think that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I also preferred to um, pick my teachers along the way. Yeah. You know, people that really inspired me. Yeah. So there's nothing worse than being in an institutional learning situation where you don't like the teachers and you're paying for it. And, mm-hmm. um, although I do wish that I had, uh, you know, a more broad background. Ethnomusicology would be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would mu- well, like musicology, just a broad study or what? Uh, ethnomusicology, yeah. Oh, ethnomusicology. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was gonna say musicology, could see that going all, yeah, all kind of places. <laughs> nice. Um, so, so you started playing after college, and then you went to Cuba, and then you got into Seattle, and then who did you? How did you start playing? How did that transition How did that happen? unfold? Mm-hmm. Um, well, while I was there, I started getting into um, the Latin scene there, the Afro-Cuban scene. And I started playing with a, a Trinidadian band, which was really awesome for getting my chops up. I mean, everything was just so high tempo and just you, just stamina was, was a must. So on that level, that was great. But I got kind of bored after a while. And I decided I wanted to start my own project. And that was the best thing I ever did. And um, that band was called Mana. And it was two percussionists and sax. And uh, we toured a lot and, and uh, did really well. And, and 
I can pretty much trace everything I did after Mana in Seattle was due to that band. Mm. All the connections I made musically were because of that band. Nice. And I, I, I like that it was something that I chose to start, you know, and uh, I encourage that to anyone. Yeah. You know? So what are you working on uh, right now or what are you excited about right now? Well, there's some a few really great things happening right now. I'm with the Michael Leonard Orchestra, um, and he is uh, he's extraordinary. He's uh, the band leader, and um, he orchestrates the band. And uh, we have a release album release coming up July 17th, 18th at um, the Jazz Standard. Um, and a new band that I'm in called Human Time Machine, and it's all percussion. And I'm in the tenor percussion, and that one is also led by orchestrator Mike and Adler. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Brian Adler. And um, there's hundreds of signs and signals. So during the show, it's it's improvised, but there's a lot of signals that you follow. And then we have some memory signals, so sometimes we might just nail something all together. But that has been so inspiring and, and uh, a, a lot of work, a yeah. lot of good work. Um and we're playing actually on Thursday at Barbez. Nice. Yeah. Um, and there's other ones. A Middle Eastern group I play with, Ivan. Um, been recording with Kochmea Gastelum from the Dap Kings. And that's going to be really fun. Great, great music. A lot of percussion in that. Nice. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what are some of, like, standouts? Because it's like a, you know, different projects over the years. What are some things that kind of stand out to you? over time you know like because I, I feel sometimes with some things there are experiences you have and it's no doesn't make any of the others any less important or anything uh-huh. but some things are very important at the time yes crucial. and then something will happen and you'll have all these other things and you'll kind of forget about them and then maybe you'll you'll think about certain things uh-huh. but I find there are certain things that kind of stay prominent in yes. one's mind what are some of those for you well, a, a couple of things. Um, one thing that really got me going here in New York when I first moved here, I knew like three people, but I just wanted to move here because it was just such an exciting scene. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody, but there was a little place called Bembe in Brooklyn, oh, yeah. which is a beautiful rhythm, right? So I was like, well, that's got to be a cool place. Go mm-hmm. check that out. And they had just opened and there were three congas in the corner. And I was so happy because I had nowhere to practice. Yeah. And I just started playing and played all night and I kept coming back. And there was a DJ, always a Latin DJ, the nights that I was going. And the owner said, why don't you, why don't you play here every Thursday? And that hooked me up with so many musicians because back then everybody would come there after their gigs. Yeah. And I was just handing out cards left and right back when everybody yeah. gave out cards. Don't, nobody does that anymore, but not much. Um, but uh, everybody just puts it in their phone. Yeah. But that, within three months, because of that place, I was gigging left and right. Mm-hmm. Just couldn't have been a better avenue to, to meet so many great musicians. So that was a real pinnacle moment because it can be really hard to get started in New York. Yeah. Um, and then I had my daughter and um, was really focused, you know, focusing all my energy on her and was supplementing with teaching just to have a you know, some rest and not gig all the time. And um, I had been working with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings when nice. uh, they needed a second percussionist. 
And then Fernando, the percussionist, had a child and asked me to, to, was getting ready to have a child, and asked me to go out on a two-week tour to sub for him. And it had, I had chosen not to tour for a very long time just because I didn't want to be away from my daughter. Some people pull it off beautifully. I just didn't want to go yeah. be apart from her for more than three or four days. How old was she at that when that was happening? The Dap Kings thing? Yeah. See, she was older then, 10. Gotcha. Like, not caring too much about yeah. mommy being <laughs> there yeah. every second. And she was the one who actually was like, because I was going to respond, I don't tour anymore. And then she goes, well, you should do it, mommy, why not? And Ray, my partner, was like, yeah, go for it. And that tour was, I think, I feel like people overuse the word inspired a lot, but that truly was. Like, it woke up all this creative energy, just being out on the road with them and having these amazing shows. And it had me just writing in my car, driving down the street. It had me listening to all, discovering new music. I mean, just that experience alone, getting back on the road with such a phenomenal band, mm -hmm. just woke up my senses, you know, in a way that I didn't even realize that they weren't. You know, I just had changed my direction so much when I had my child. So that it's, it's, it's a high that I'm still on because it just it just reinvigorated me. Yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. You've played on a lot of uh, you've played on some pretty big records too, right? Like in recording and stuff too. Yeah, I like doing session work. When you do that, um, I, I'm sure it's different time to time. But do those tend to be live recordings, or do you come in like at are they tracked, or does it just depend? It just depends. Um, some of it, they just want me to come in and interpret the music. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's straight charts. Like I did the um, Netflix series, The Get Down, and that yeah, was all. a big fan of that one. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. wish that had kept going. That was so fun. Yeah. Um, but that was all charts, and they didn't give them to you in advance, because they and you're not allowed to leave with them either. So you had to just read them down. You get the whole band live. You got one or two tries. That's it. And those were a lot of great sessions, and that was at Avatar. So if those were charts, because um, mm -hmm. like if those were charts and you did a lot of studying, like was would you say your formative studying was in Cuba? Like for yeah, the... most of my study was oral. Yeah. yeah. So how yeah. do you? Um, because as somebody like I've played a little bit, like I'm not a percussionist at all, but I've like played around on a djembe before and know some basics like that. How do you go from? How did you go from that to like? learning charts yeah if you because the people i learned like the basic stuff i learned was from drummers who mm -hmm. just teach like little yeah. things yeah so how did you go from there to being yeah. able to sight read charts you know right um well i taught myself i mean yeah. i just basically went online and and looked up <laughs> just put in weird things like looked up complicated charts looked up the form i bought i bought books about how to read music and theory and I taught myself I mean I just spent the time I can't say I enjoy it because I'm very a very visceral player right and I'm so glad I started out that way mm -hmm. of more about feeling the music um but you know obviously it's a it's a skill that that you gotta have you know you don't have to but if you want to do certain kinds of work you should um so and that's still a work in progress so I'm always trying to improve on that and get where I can sight read like complicated charts quickly um but like i said i don't really enjoy it yeah. some people love 
that. They love to recharge. They love right brain thinking with music, but I'm, I mean, left brain. I'm much happier in the right brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you pra- do you play every day or what's your process kind of? Lately I have been. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, there's so much that I still want to learn that I'll always want to learn. One day I might just focus on tambourine, like just trying to get new swings, new sounds. Um, one day I'll just focus on reading charts. Um, a lot of times I'm, in fact, I have a couple of shows coming up where I, where they're all charts. Um, sometimes I'll just get all my drums out and, and work on riffs. I'll look up stuff, look up great players and steal all their moves, you know? Um, yeah, I love being at home, like working on stuff. It's my favorite thing in the world. Like I could go walk the West village and have a blast and do all kinds of cool things. But when I get my girl off to school, I get the coffee on and I am so happy there. Yeah. Yeah, I like being in this studio, um, particularly on a Tuesday. That's the day the store is closed. Then nobody's here, and I like to do work here. But otherwise, I like doing some work at home, too. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a interesting um, way of thinking about things, because sometimes as an artist, or if, you, if there's multiple things you do, sometimes it can be overwhelming, yeah. like the, the daily practice. Mm-hmm. But realizing that, like, yeah, some days can be technical practice. Some mm-hmm. days can be just playing. Some days can be, like, other aspects of it, um, mm-hmm. whether it be, like, administrative stuff or, like, yeah. educational stuff. Yeah, sometimes know? I'll have a plan for the day, and I'll look something up, and it sends me down a wormhole to, yeah. like, and then I realized it was an, a day of educating myself on some really incredible players that I didn't wasn't aware of you know mm-hmm. and i gotta i gotta run with that sometimes you know just just veer off seems like it was supposed to happen right then you know yeah so do you still um teach also yeah definitely in fact um my happy place is finding the right balance between teaching and and gigging yeah and uh i've worked in so many schools in all five boroughs and right now I'm the co-music director at IS229 in the Bronx and uh I just I'm there two days a week I have three classes and they're mostly uh kids from Ghana and Dominican Republic Mm -hmm. and we put on a couple of shows a year and they they create in small groups and they're learning how to read music and I bring them rhythms from everywhere yeah yeah that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Also, all the studies show that uh, music programs enhance education. Oh, Just yeah. like every study kind of shows that. And in my experience, I, I remember I went to middle school. Middle school was the period that um, my middle, the middle school that I went to canceled its music program. Uh-huh. And that's when my probably like darkest period of my life probably um and like the worst part of education and that was like a missing ingredient Oof, yeah know? um yeah, yeah to pull something like that that's that's it's heartbreaking uh when when bush was was president how how they really cut back on these programs yeah and how i mean <clears throat> a lot of the schools i've worked in they they can't afford they don't have a single instrument in their school and you know 
we have to bring buckets from like Home Depot. They're $2.80 each. I mean, that, and in fact, some schools have congas and stuff, but it, believe it or not, kids really love the buckets. Like mm-hmm. there could be an arsenal of hand drums and they want to play buckets. A lot of them do. Yeah. You know? Well, of course, there's a bucket percussion tradition in, in, New, in York New York City. Yeah. 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 Um, some amazing talent. And then, you know, you have Stomp too, which yes. also mm-hmm. um, kind of took the street playing to the stage. That's right. In fact, I have a, a group of kids right now who are making instruments out of recycled stuff that I told them to dig around at, yeah. you know, and find, and they're making the coolest stuff right now. That's really, cool. really just so innovative. I'm like, God, I can't, how did you just come up with that? Kids are, are brilliant, and, you know. Yeah. They're so moving, and they're just like, yeah, of course, you know. Of course I would make this, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> what... uh. What what's your primary instrument? Would you say congas, congas, and bongos? Yeah, and I play cajon, and then you know lots of different small percussion and <coughs> blocks and bells and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is your favorite? Do you have a favorite of them or congas? Congas, for sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a big conga fan too, actually. Um, I've never played. I've yeah, it's. It's amazing to me the intricate rhythms on the on the conga and what yeah. it can do to a song. And how melodic it is. Yeah. You know, between your slaps and your mute strokes and the bass and tones, there's so much to be said that people a lot some people don't really realize is being said. So, cuz I I guess I've never really asked um the two drums are the, those are two different tones? Is one high, like one tenor and one baritone, basically? Or yep, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the basic setup, you have a conga on the left. Usually, it's like an eleven inch or eleven and three quarters inch head, and it's called the conga. And then the one on the right is called the tumba, ah. and that's the bass, and that's usually twelve and a half inch head. And then there's the quinto, which is considered the high drum. Um, and if you're going to play in a folkloric setting, you know, the quinto is, you know, the one you might have one person soloing on it and okay. then another person or two more people playing on the other drums. Like, Got you. yeah, in the Afro-Cuban setting, each person has one, one of those drums. Mm-hmm. And you play, you said, uh, like Afro-Cuban and Afro-Latin uh, music, um, and then like Dab Kings, funk. Mm-hmm. You play like probably across many different genres, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, it's funny because I just did a gig um, with Patrick Adams. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was like one of the one of the kings of disco in Harlem, one of the innovators. Nice. And um, they did a big tribute show to him where he put the band together. You know, he had the band. He had his musical director, um, Todd, but... Uh, Todd Simon but um, I grew up loving disco I just danced all over my room to disco so when I got this gig it was it just felt like a breeze because I had absorbed all that music when I was a kid it's it's so I can't you can never underestimate how much you you absorb as a kid and how even though you've you know I had never played with a disco band before that I mean funk is similar but it just all that that memory of moving to it and hitting those rhythms with my body just came came right out and it just was the biggest blast. It was such such a fun show. Yeah. 
So some of it is comes really natural, and then, um, you know, I, I guess I'm pretty diverse, but um, there's, you know, in terms of the folkloric music, I always want to get deeper. I mean, like, I feel like I got so far to go with that. You know, it's just endless. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, uh, the disco thing, because uh, Get Down, the Get Down kind yeah. of focused on the, like, hip-hop is a very interesting thing, because it, it has many roots. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of, it's the modern soul. It's kind of the new, it's, the, I think hip-hop is kind of the new American art form. Yeah. And it's the evolution of so many others, including, you know, a lot of people don't think about disco, um, but the Get Down really focused on the disco roots and how the disco where that came from, but into hip hop. So probably musically that one was, I guess, fun to play on also. Cause yeah, you, you probably had hip hop, um, Afro Latin music mm-hmm. and then disco. Roots oh yeah. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All kind of together. Yeah. That, that all happened around the same time. Yeah. And there's sort of like a disco resurgence happening. Cause that show we did, um, at the Alhambra in Harlem with Patrick, um, you had all these old folks who were Patrick's age who were back for the rally. And then there were all these kids, these like heads in the front in their 20s who are who are just avid collectors of disco. Yeah. So I think it was a, a, and just cross-cultural and a lot of Asian people there. It was just really interesting to see how I feel like there's going to be a, a disco boom or something. Cause there's, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to always... Uh kind of wish i was born in the era of the like disco dance parties and stuff like yeah. that yeah um i mean some disco is better than others but, yeah you know but it just looks so fun like when you watch you know saturday night fever or um soul train just like that era of yeah just like the the dance clubs at the time yeah you know yep and people dressing up to the nines but like wild at the same time you yeah. know yeah. um yeah, I feel like I don't enjoy clubs in general sometimes now because I feel like the vibe, there's kind of, in a lot of them anyway, it's kind of, it's like a fashion show, but it's kind of everybody's supposed to dress one way. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of a homogenization that I don't really, yeah. I'm not impressed with. Like, right. I've also, I'm also missing um, sort of like the mystery in and sexual sensuality mm-hmm. like like there's so much just butt in your face dance right now you know it's so i mean it's obviously really great on one hand but i feel like there's just so much just everybody just sticking it all out all the dang time I'm just... yeah like <laughs> same with like uh lyrics like i'm not against lyrics but it's like you go back to the 60s 70s even before but definitely the 60s and 70s um whether you're talking reggae, whether you're talking soul, whether you're talking whatever that was part of that revolution at the time, the social revolution, um, people were talking about things, but not so explicit. Yeah. So that like, yeah, you obviously know what they're talking about. Like Bob Marley, stir it up. Or like, I'm going to put it on um, Marvin. Like, it's like you say things pretty obviously but leave a little yeah. bit to the yeah. mind yeah the because everybody's interpretation is special mm-hmm. and if you just stick it all out there like that in music whether it's lyrics or whatever it's just you're underestimating you know a person's artistic ability to to really you know take it to a different place yeah yeah 
I sound like a mom now. Everybody's dancing too risque. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, it's... Yeah, there's just nuance in things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, what do you... Do you have any, uh, like, hopes or goals for, like, the future? Like, kind of for the world, if that makes sense? Oh, wow. Pretty broad question. I you know, know I, I really, you know, one thing that just elevates me is, is working with kids mm-hmm. and just seeing youth engaged in, in music and the creation of music. I feel like there just needs to be so much more of that happening. I mean, I, there's nothing like a day when the kids come in stressed out from whatever just happened in the hall or, or whatever state test they just took. And when you give them a chance to improvise, you see like the, the, the mask fall temporarily, you know, but you just, it's such a joy to see those, the faces light up. And the more that we get in schools, the more healthy they're going to be, the better self-esteem, the more, I mean, we talk about conflict in music and how that relates to life. And, you know, um, I just can't say enough about how important it is to have that in schools. And the more we have it, the better artists we're going to, we're going to have creating and on the radio and everywhere else touring the world. You know? I think uh, you're a good person to talk to um, in, because you said you came to, to what you've been doing now for a while. You came to it later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, this podcast, like I try to talk to people all different places in the process, but um, the hopes that like one people that are already kind of on their path, if it's an artistic pack or whatever it is, um, but wherever they are, but kind of to help motivate people going further, but also um, people that aren't happy doing what they're doing and are kind of dreaming about doing something else, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. encouraging people. Like if you have a calling and it keeps calling you. Yeah. It's not going to stop calling you. And you're probably not going to be happy until you start exploring Ad- it and doing something it. with it. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't think that they're you, the, the thing that's scary about it is you don't know where it's going to take you. Mm-hmm. But if you look at your story, it's taken you all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, and it's taken you to two great cities where mm-hmm. you spent, you know, a long time at both of those. Um, and you've traveled around the world. Um, do you have any advice for any people at the beginning of their process or maybe at a place where they might be feeling discouraged or scared mm. in their process? Mm. Um, well, I think a good place to start is, um, you know, when you feel something come to your gut, you know, listen, you know, cause I was working as a, assistant marketing director at a ballet company in Kentucky right after college and I was in my nice clothing walking by the dancers one day and I look over and I remember the way the light was shining in the room and the way the girls were dancing and I looked and everything slowed down and it was like I'm supposed to be doing something like that Mm -hmm. and I knew I didn't want to be a dancer I love dancing but I didn't I didn't want to do that as a career but I didn't really I didn't really do anything about that at that time, I just listened to that, mm-hmm. and I just let it sit. And then a few weeks later, I was at that party, and I and I played the bongos. And 
one thing after another literally just fell in my lap. Yeah. The more I played, the more opportunity I got. And I didn't actually realize that I wasn't centered as a person before I found music. Like, I was doing well in life, and I was, you know, but when I found music, it was just like everything just lined up vibrationally, you know, everything just felt so much better, and I didn't know that it, that it could feel that way. You know, sometimes if you, if you haven't had that feeling, you just don't know it's out there. But um, I, I listened, you know, and, and it worked out. So I think, I think um, those fears will always pop up. There's always going to be fears. It's, it's what you do with them, you know. I mean, there's going to be fear because you just, you want to, you want to improve and you want to, you want to be legit. You want to be authentic. And sometimes you don't know if, sometimes you want to learn so much, you're not sure how it's all going to work together. And, um, but you just got to, got to just make sure that you're in love with what you're doing. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to take work that you don't love, but I have a thing, you know, I have to at least like it. Sometimes you just got to make money. Yeah. But I don't take work that is embarrassing Well, to I me. I feel like I, I uh, this kind of goes in line with um, basically my thoughts on uh, like health and like nutrition, like which cause I've been I've been going through a major shift right now for myself. Um, and part of it, like I did lose a bit of weight, but I've never I'm against. Well, I'm not against, but I don't believe in calorie counting per se or right. dieting per se. Um, but I do believe that. Like with food, if you focus on putting healthy food into your body, then even if you like put some unhealthy things in, you're at least putting healthy in. And then you won't have room for as much unhealthy stuff. Like, right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, yeah, like they're, I'm, I'm still bartending. I'm, I'm still hustling, just running around like a madman. Like everybody I know. Yeah. But by doing by starting to be like okay no i'm gonna do this this podcast i'm gonna do get involved with other things yeah opportunities open up and Mm -hmm. it's like i love i genuinely love doing this like having conversations with people like you um and it i feel like it puts you when you start doing the things that you love Mm -hmm. it puts you in a mindset that is more open um, more receptive Definitely. and just more engaged with with the world. Yes. So that even if you're doing your job, like you know, doing things like that you don't like, you have your focus, mm-hmm. and you meet people like in all kinds of random places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and these meetings that you have, if you're closed off and you're not focused, these meetings coming like you don't even know they that they're by there. The they, they pass by. It's awareness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel that like listen and do what you love, you mm-hmm. know. Don't worry about the rest as much, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah, I um I feel really 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 fortunate to get to do what I do. Yeah. So glad I found it. Yeah. And and like and I was 23 when yeah. I started. It is really never too late. It's like right now, I mean, I'm 50 and I keep I keep learning every day and at this age you start to feel like your neurons and your nodes and your pathways and your body getting more and more formed you know the old saying it's hard to teach a old dog new tricks mm-hmm. 
And that is true. And that's why it's even more important to keep learning and keep growing yeah. at this age. Like it just just keeps you so much more alert and, and you can feel your body resisting those urges to just stay on that old course or whatever. Right. You know? Yeah. It's just endless. It's just going to go on for my whole life, I feel. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever get bored of music. That's you know? good. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, I think, the key doing yeah. stuff that you love and stay engaged with. Yeah. And it's inspiring to see old artists that just get out there and do it and just, you know, it's like Baba Olatunji when I got to see him and they brought him out in Seattle. He was in this beautiful silk blue robe and they had to carry him out. I mean, he was Baba Olatunji, um, just a complete master drummer. Uh, in his eighties, um, when he came out to perform and everybody was so excited and just jumping around and dancing to the house music. And when he came out, he could barely get out on stage. They were carrying him. Um, but he was in his full regalia and everybody got very silent. It was like, how in the world is he going to play? I mean, he's just, he looks just incapacitated, but he got in front of his drum and that he had all his drummers came up behind him and he started off with his call vocally and just launched into drumming uh, and went for like an hour, full throttle, singing, drumming, fully spirited, high energy. And just everybody was sweating and danced all the entire time. And then at the end, they came out and got him and took him off stage. Just as they brought him on, he could barely get off the stage. But he was able to do to manifest that for the show, you know, um, which I thought was incredible. It was just so moving. And he he died a couple of years after that, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I got to got to catch him. Yeah, I need to catch. Uh, speaking of artists who I haven't really had an opportunity, somebody did tell me he was playing like a couple of years ago and. I don't know what I like. Why I didn't make that top priority. So next time I need to, and that's Mr. Uh, Stevie Wonder. Oh God, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, because he's he's getting up there, but by all accounts, like he's he's the master. Like he's still. Oh yeah. Um, he'll make you cry too. Yeah. From what I hear. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's probably my my favorite songwriter of all time. He's been doing it for so long. Yeah, no doubt. And also, you know, he's also a per- percussionist, among other things. Yeah, he like is. He's, he's a great drummer. Yeah. He knew exactly what he wanted to hear mm-hmm. on, his, on his records. Yeah. And I don't know if you heard, um, he, because uh, I think he's a great lyricist also. Um, but, you know, when he was a kid with Motown and even like his first, like I think, album, like kind of as at least a pre-adult, um, they were still writing like the lyrics for him. And then at a certain point, he just wasn't happy with the lyrics and mm-hmm. didn't consider himself a lyricist. But like, well, who do you want? And he's like, well, maybe I'll try. And then he writes these amazing, yeah. you know, <laughs> visual lyrics. Right. Um, like colorful. Like I, I definitely see a lot of texture and color, uh-huh. like listening uh-huh. to his, like they're very vivid, his, yes. his lyrics. You uh-huh. know? It's amazing. Yeah. Superstition. I think that that riff, that groove. It's probably the, my favorite thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. 
just the layering of it. And then when the horns come in, I mean, it is, it's, just, I, I never get, it never, what do you call it? You know, never, never gets old. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels fresh every time I hear it. So uh, for gigging, how do people, like if people wanted you to play like with them, is that gig by gig or how does that, how does that work? Um, yeah, it just seems like one thing leads to another. Um, you know, you asked about how, you know, some advice I would give for people starting out. Um, I think one of the most beneficial things that you can do as a musician is, you know, the hang, the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't mean like the partying necessarily, but like the, like getting to know the people that you play with, hanging out after the show, um, really just getting to know people. And the more you get out and sit in with bands, the more you show up to people's shows and make contact, the more it's going to happen. Um, and it really works like that. It's just like meeting people. I don't have an agent or I never have. I just kind of let things unfold as they will. Um, and, you know, now that my daughter's older, I, I'm able to to get a little more involved than I, I kind of took a backseat to, to putting music at the forefront, you know, and was fo- focused more on teaching, but, but now I'm getting out a little bit more and, uh, and that, and it's happening again. You know, the more you get out there, the more contact you make and the more people see you at their shows, you know, they want to connect with you cause you're supporting them, mm-hmm. you know? Nice. Yeah. Well, I might want to talk to you actually about some music after this um but uh do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave people with final thoughts deep thoughts Hmm. um um, yes here's my final thought we have a show coming up on may 15th at new blue 151 the new blue uh the new new blue and it's produced by Aaron Walker Loud, and he has a production company called Big World Breaks. And he's put together this really cool band, um, Jermaine and Riley, um, both trumpet players, both play with the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, both came up um, from at Juilliard with uh, Wynton Marsalis um, teaching. And I am so excited to play with them. I'm so excited to play with Aaron. Um, Aaron is just an incredible guy. He's uh, he's put his heart and soul into this night. He's promoting it like crazy. And uh, I would love for everyone to come out. And there's going to be a DJ between our sets. And it is, again, May 15th. And it is um, starts pretty early. We're going to do two sets. I think it starts at 8 or 9. But um, you can maybe, we can figure that out in a minute so you can say yeah. that properly. Oh, yeah. I'll- I plan on being there too, and I'll definitely be sharing this on on my page and everything too. Cool, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited about that. And that's one. That's the final thought. Um, I, th- yeah, because I think I kind of expressed a lot of what's most important to me in the interview. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, and if you would like to, would you like to share? Um, would you like to play a little bit? I brought my bongos, so <clears throat> I'll just do a little riffy, just a little play around, mess around. 
Thank you very much. So that was my conversation with Elizabeth Pupo Walker. Check her out at elizabethpupo-walker.com. You can also find the link to that on my show notes page on the website. If you want to see me perform tonight, come out to Hill Country Barbecue. You can get more information at theshelternyc.org or the Shelter NYC uh, Facebook page. And next week, Tuesday, May 15th, come out to New Blue in Manhattan to see The Big World's Breaks presents tag team music show with Elizabeth Pupo Walker, Aaron Walker Loud, Jumani Smith, and Riley Muller Harker. I'm not saying his name right. When I talk to him, I'll get the correction. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Please uh, rate, subscribe, and review. Please uh, share the podcast, and please come back and listen. And thank you very much. Have a good one. Peace. Peace.